0: I think the guys, would be, the players would be comfortable enough for me to give away a little bit from the locker room. Is I'll, I, I would tell them that I'm the most qualified person to tell them about playing for Australia because I've never played. <laughs> you understand? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When you haven't played, um, you really know how much it means.
1: That's Wallabies coach Michael Checker talking about how he was never picked for the Wallabies as a player and how it kind of informs his role now. Uh, this was a really sprawling interview. We went everywhere. A little bit like his career. European club rugby is a player and a coach. A recent trip to Stanford in the US. His plans to potentially stand aside from the Wallabies after the next World Cup. his Margaret Father Joe, and his move to Australia from Lebanon. The ongoing problems in super rugby. Uh, his dinner with Beyonce. Was it a dinner? Did he meet Beyonce? We get to the bottom of that rumor. His work in fashion. Um, and the identity of the Wallabies in general. Lots and lots of stuff. We rambled a bit, but I think he's one of the most interesting people in Australian sport, and I really think you'll enjoy the interview. Well, Michael Checker, welcome to the Stack Report. Thank you very much for joining us.
0: It's a pleasure.
1: We're coming coming to you live (laughs) from the ARU. It's just been after the Easter weekend. How did you celebrate your Easter?
0: Uh, Mate, I made a conscious effort to try and... Stay home a few days with the family. You know, I've got a young family, so an eight year old, two six year olds, a four year old, and also a wife that goes with that. So <laughs> I've been away a fair bit already this season, and the, and the, and the year hasn't really started yet so from a footy perspective, from, from our end, when the travel really gets going. So I thought I'd just uh, stay in house and try and spend a bit of time with them.
1: What's your poison? Hot cross bun,
0: chocolate. <laughs> well, I do have Vino. A notoriously sweet tooth. So when this time of year comes around, it's pretty hard, especially with all the kids around. Um, so well, I found out that my kids don't really like the white chocolate. So I sort of just mopped up all of that that was left over
1: (laughs) white (laughs) chocolate is like crack cocaine I reckon (laughs) chocolate that stuff is addictive Uh,
0: well I can't really say that the drug (laughs) testers will be down here straight away from the white chocolate but uh, it is it's got that that sort of moorish taste that you just want to keep eating well maybe it's just the sugar perhaps I don't know Um, If you're a religious man, Easter's a time for
1: reflection. I'm not a religious man. I I, I know that you're a rugby man and Mm -hmm. you've had time to probably reflect on the state of Australian rugby over what's been a tumultuous period, but particularly over that Easter break, taking some time away from the game. Do you feel like rugby in this country is in a kind of a sad position right now? Are you sad as an Australian rugby fan?
0: Uh, Not sad. Um, Mate, I think that the you know the off field and the on field and rugby's all professional sport for that matter but rugby's very much the same in the fact that you have um you know they talk about the business of sport rugby's 21 years old now professionally so it's still quite young you know i think we've just got over the the era of a whole bunch of amateurs inheriting a professional game and i think the the expectation for a little bit more now about becoming truly professional in the in the way the game's presented and and You know how how we look in the public domain, which is right to the heart of this discussion. But uh, I think that um, always got to remember there's two bottom lines in this game. There's the the financial bottom line that goes with the business per se, and there's the emotional bottom line, and uh, which goes with wins, losses, how you play items like this. You know, Mm. survival sometimes, and survival comes in many shapes and sizes. You know, we if you play in the English um aviva premiership uh, survivals on every year because there's a team or in the french league because there's a team getting relegated or uh, promoted according to performance in that year and here we don't have that but the the finances of the game have dictated that you know that to survive and thrive not just to survive that those decisions needed to be made so whether they whether they they're right or wrong they can be interpreted anyway but once the decision's been made, I, I would like to think that we can just, you know, disagree and commit. Because, um, you know, whether I, I know that in the process here we gave out a lot of, uh, I, I know myself I gave out a lot of different viewpoints of view, or argued some cases, and you know gave a different perspective. Because if we all say the same thing, it's a bit boring, you know. I mean, we'll get a better outcome if we oppose each other and. And and then yeah, I was one of those guys had to do that as well, you know, disagree and commit, and and not on all to, not on all topics, but on some of them. And I think that um, what do you think Australian, Australian rugby? To do, what do you, you know? think Australian rugby is going to disagree about and commit to? Mate, right? everyone's disagreeing about lots of things, you know. So one group will disagree about one thing, and the other group will disagree about another. But at the end of the day, there's still games to win, mate. Premierships to be won. So. Right now, everyone's saying, oh, yeah, the Australian Super Rugby teams, we're, we're in the—we're going no good. Like, our top team's only got three wins, right, compared to I don't know how many of the others. But, mate, he, you get to the finals, you can still win the comp. Mm. <laughs> so, the, and one team from our crew is going to get the finals. And what, what will happen this year, if, <clears throat> no one thinks it'll happen, but what will happen this year if Australian team won the comp? Well, what would everyone say then? This... Would, it, would, would an Australian do, winning
1: the comp not paper over the cracks, though? Doesn't that look systemically like bad? Like I if-
0: told you, mate, there's two bottom lines. There's yeah. an emotional bottom line and there's a financial bottom line. There's a business bottom line. And the two don't necessarily run parallel all the time. You could spend heaps of money on your team and not come up with the wins. Happens all the time. Uh, it's, or you could spend, spend no money and perhaps get the wins. Look at uh, Look at Leicester City. You know, their financial... In soccer, their financial bottom line certainly didn't um, meet that of Manchester City or or uh, Chelsea or any of those guys, but they won the comp. And, um, and I think that it's hard. All the stuff that's going on is hard, but uh, um, just throwing more grenades is not going to solve the problem, mate. Like, we've got to... If you want the game to... I want the game to prosper here, right? And to thrive and for us to enjoy our footy and for our supporters to enjoy it. I don't think there was any time I enjoyed more in perhaps being involved in rugby at the coaching level than the period of the post-World Cup because not even the World... Sort of because I saw... When I came back to Australia, I saw fans genuinely excited about rugby. And, got, like... All types of of supporters, not just rugby supporters, league supporters, soccer supporters, people who weren't really that interested in footy, you know what I mean, but went, you know, and followed that because they were genuinely excited. We, as a, and enjoyed being Australian to follow the team. And we uh, have the power as professional or sports, I won't say professional because that's a furfy, that thing. That's just, you're only professional because you're getting paid, you know, like. Guys, in our position, we have the ability to motivate and make people feel good about themselves. You know, you can go home every every time people wake up from a game, one of our games, we're deciding if the nation's happy or if they're sad. Kids, uh, you know, proud of their you know, that, that whole thing. It's very powerful, and and um, and that that's what we've that's really our mantra. That's what it should be: is making our public at all different levels. Uh, so if you're at the club level your local club team or or uh, or at the national level the, the the nation feeling good about the game because that's what sport is it's a release from all the other crap we have to deal with on a day to day basis mortgages bills well, that's why sport's so popular so people can get away from it all and identify with the with the club or with the, the team or the sport that they're that they're watching and that they're passionate about and We've got we to show a better image about that game because we're not showing
1: that right now. You know what it's like to coach a super rugby team, to be involved you know, to the core, to the soul of a club. What do you think it's going to be – what would it be like? Let's say that you were coaching the Waratahs and it was announced that the Waratahs are going to be leaving the competition. What sort of impact do you think that that would have on not only self but the wider club the wider community because that's what one of these teams is going to go through aren't
0: they yeah it is and uh, like a, you know any type of bereavement or disappointment it's you you accept you go through the stages you know you, you acknowledge you know and then you accept it and then you get on with it after that you know and um made oh, mate it's hard it is hard but um or We've still got to go. We've got to get the other things, parts of the game. I've got to keep going and being reason why kids want to watch it. Or like we've got a test series coming up this year in June, where all afternoon kickoffs, you know, and a chance for kids to go to the game get you go to the skills beforehand meet their fan you know like I know my own kids like they don't get to go to the night games you know mm. they're, they're too late for them so they're going to be I know my son's coming to Melbourne to to watch a test down there against Fiji and that's what we should be you know we should be getting into the ups and downs of super rugby and on the field and then getting ready for that series where we can give back to our um, people who watch the game but you know I'm is there going to be a bad taste in people's mouth? I don't know, you know, but the longer we spend on, you know, like I said, throwing grenades, and and I know it's difficult, right? I'm not saying that, you know, that it's a perfect situation, but there's still, like, still footy to be played, you know, and still still things to achieve, and we've got to get on there. And if this process is going to go on for a bit longer, we've got to be able to do both at the same time, right? You can't stop one for the other and vice versa, because that's doing no good to nobody.
1: You touch on, I guess, the fact that there's going to be these afternoon fixtures and what an opportunity is in terms of draw card for young kids. What can Australian rugby do better to attract the young best athletes of this country? Because that seems a massive challenge for the game in this country, given the crowded market.
0: Yeah, well, that's always been our market, mate. That's been our market since day one. And uh, we've been blessed to have, and and I would say this in a positive way, blessed to have an environment where we can grow up playing any sport we want to, you know, and, and we can make those choices and yeah, okay, that might be hard for us in rugby because, you know, maybe the other kids have more money or whatever, but, you know, maybe then you've got to start looking at it in a different way going, actually, how good have we gone over this period of time? Mm-hmm. Like, still, we're third in, internationally. And we've got... Like, imagine what our, what we could be like if there was no league or no AFL, like, with all those players. But that's not the case. It is, and it makes us a better rugby landscape for it. And I'm, you know... So how do rugby
1: steal those athletes? Yeah, we,
0: you don't have to steal them. You've got to nurture, right? Because we have a really good... Um, we've always had a good pathway of uh, kids coming through, um, through the schools' networks, right? Um, both public and private, right? Everyone thinks about the private schools, but if you go back to the days of the Waratah Shield, right, or where the, you know a lot of the players from that um, Invincible Schoolboys team back in the 70s came from, there was a lot of public school kids in there, and we've let that public school park go a little bit but i've you know see now in the participation area that we're coming back into that zone you know i i was a huge fan when i was at the tars of trying to revive the waratah shield strong because what what better shield to have it's named after your club you know what i mean <laughs> like and you can get the best school but you've got to have commitment mate you've got to be committed to the cause you know everyone in their own section and 100 just like our players are committed to say this is what we want to do and this is how how we're going to bring it back um bring back a, a, an environment that those young players when the choice comes do I play league because now most of them that are coming through school that are, that, are, that are that are that are quality they're being tagged by everybody mm. right so what's what's going to make by nurturing them um, we can just find out what's going to make them stay with rugby because Often, a lot of the kids who make the other choice, uh, we end up talking to them at some way stage along the way about coming back. Mm. But we don't want to be doing that. We want to be getting that that at the at that level. And I think um, next year also, when you know the other coaches are on full time, because you know we've only got all the other we've got two coaches who are coaching in Super Rugby too. We're going to have a bit more time to dedicate into that area as a group, as a whole, because. This coaching crew we've got now, we've got definite like not, not definitely not um, pardoning ourselves from the short term and getting the immediate results that we want to get. We're very committed to making sure that there's from a from a rugby point of view that we're setting up the long term as well. This next three years is, going to be about doing a lot of that as well, setting up for the World Cup. But without trying, we're not looking for a part, an exit out of uh, the immediate results, just you've got to do both. If you want to be a good leader, you've got to do both. You've got to do today, you've got to you've got to organise today and also tomorrow as well.
1: You talk about leadership there and you mentioned um, disagree and commit and I noticed that's something that you've sort of peppered through a number of media interviews lately. That's something you picked up in your recent trip to Stanford, is that right?
0: <laughs> well, if you know, disagree and commit is... Uh, not necessarily it's the lo- I think it, I read it in the logo for Intel maybe it's one of part yeah. of their not their logo their uh, you know their mission stuff I'm not really sure I thought it
1: was the head of Amazon
0: could be Jeff no, no, mate, Bezos it just sounds good like sounds good to me because that's what I've been doing all my life <laughs> uh, I'll give you an interesting an- anecdote right about um, how am I going to do this without giving away the people anyway I'll try and do it you'll work your way through no, let's yeah, just disagree I, and commit so Somewhere, well, no, they may not even know the people here anyway, I'll see how I go. Somewhere along the way, I was talking to a coach who uh, I was looking at maybe being a coach, um, and it wasn't the Wallabies, so you don't need to get your, your knickers in and not there, No, yeah, right. you know, so, yeah. <laughs> I'm all flustered. Jim. Yeah, no, no, I can see that. Is <laughs> um, that why you're asleep in the chair over there? <laughs> <laughs> or is it because of the interesting content? So, and, and I was talking to him, and we were talking about players, you know what I mean? And... Uh, and I said, uh, "What about this player here?" And he, he was talking about this player. Like he hadn't come onto the team yet. He was just we were just talking, you know, about um, you know rugby in general. And he, and I said, "So you like that guy, and I like this guy. What would happen if I forced you to um, play that guy?" And he said, "I'd make sure he was the best player in that position, without a doubt." And from that minute on, you go, "Okay, he's the guy." Mm. You know, because they're not. It's not a. You don't want everyone to say yes, mate. It's boring, <laughs> really. Like, I yeah. I I want. Do you respect people thing, more when they, cut uh, heads with mate, you? That sort about, of lead? Uh, we have. A, I'm trying to bring in a culture of aligned opposition. So, uh, I want to be able to oppose you, but we've got the same outcome in mind. So I could argue with Foley, let's say, about a move. Right? But our goal is to score a try. Right, he could say, no, let's do it this way. And then the other thing that's important from that is uh, no one wants to take the credit or no one wants to issue the blame if it goes good or if it goes bad. And they're, they're the parameters for having a good environment to work in and to play in. Or, you know, this is not really work, it's all play, you know. Like, and and to to get people to believe in you, you know what I mean? To, and have that type of stuff like... Well, You'll always get the best out outcome from that stuff. Well, the uh, yeah, there's stuff we did. It's, it's some interesting stuff at in that course that you were talking about there that I was taken. How, how long were you at that course for? Um, it's just a business college course, so it's only yeah. three weeks in total. You know, it was, it's in different sections. Can you? D- Describe that experience to me, what was it like? Uh, Yeah, well, for a guy like me who didn't come from, I did no tertiary education, you know, so I went to school to play footy, really, you know, but I played rugby league growing up and so, uh, and, you know, learned a few things on the way. It was really, really interesting and uh, it was really lucky to be in the environment with so many other, not just the course itself, but with other people involved in the course. Uh, the other CEOs and founders I was the odd one out obviously because I was a sports guy but uh uh just very well done and they they got us doing a a uh, a an exercise where you had to work together as a team and and doing building something okay won 't give away all the details and then uh, once you'd built it you you had to record the process of you building it with your team right and when you built it, it was a race to build it. You know all different teams, and then afterwards you listen to your recording, and you mark down in your recording who uh, who did what, who made the moves, who who supports, yep, who opposes. You document it all, and who who reflects, like who sits back and reflects, you know, and you know you mark it point by point, and. And at the end, we had a couple of opposers and you know a few mainly support and a few moves or whatever. And then the, the professor showed us the 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 other guys who uh, other groups of people who'd done it in like a quarter of the time. And where did it come from? It came from strong opposition. So when you have an idea or or, or someone else has an idea, you oppose mine. I immediately think about my idea and go. Hang on a second. Could mine be better if I take a bit of that and then change it? Well, I used the example. I was speaking to the lads about it. I can't use the language that I was using then. And I said, <laughs> uh, so if we're, all in a, if we're all in a situation where, a life-threatening situation, right, and I come up with an idea and say, this is what we're going to do, and you guys say nothing, right, and I'm wrong, where are we going? We're all going down the to- the tubes, you know, yeah, like we're finished, Yeah. So there's a healthy with with once you're aligned opposition is really healthy. It always has been a healthy thing. I think naturally with it before I've always had that in my life either myself or other people in the environment with me in sporting teams I've played in or in business or anything like that where that's been a case it's it's about understanding and not having the ego to say having having you know putting the ego aside saying you yeah, actually that I put that with my idea, or I might even replace it totally or merge it with another idea and just see what happens, you know, that, from there.
1: Was that a comfortable experience for you?
0: Yeah, I, I, I like that. Yeah. It's, I think that's – once the intent – and intent is everything, you know. It, when, once your intent is correct, you know, you, you, you're aligned in what you're trying to do, then, mate, that's, that's, that's what makes the best and the most interesting environments to be in. I want to change gears now and, and um,
1: talk about some other facets of your life, Michael. Um, can, you, can you just tell me what you know or about your father's, Joe's arrival as a migrant, Lebanese migrant to Australia?
0: Well, I only know the stories they told me. So <laughs> exactly. The, yeah, I, um, well... I know you weren't there. No, I wasn't there, definitely. <laughs> but I, I, in uh, my family come from the north of Lebanon, so it's a, a Christian town, maybe about and and that's the way it works over there you know the towns are pretty divided they all live together you know but even in the constitution there you know president has to be christian uh, prime minister uh, muslim it's 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 they've got it worked out somehow and now it's obviously got messed up but they had it worked out once upon a time so i'd say that the post-second world war the australian government was it was there you know trying to bring labor into Australia, as it would be a familiar story for many migrants and people in my situation, so I'd say uh, my dad was, uh, you know, he was approached by the Australian uh, trade people, whatever, the consul people there that were out saying, you know, apply, come to Australia there's work here, etc and, you know uh, like all uh, those Middle Eastern types they like to get politically active, so I think he was involved in a bit of village politics you know, that may have got a little bit dangerous so uh, he and a mate of his um, decided it was time to go and they actually went on an aeroplane, 1950. So it cost a fair bit back then. I'm not sure how they got the cash. Mm. But uh, um, seven days to arrive to Australia in, on an aeroplane back then. And, of course, they land. They've got, they've got only one phone number, really, I think, or contact and so not not a lot of english and, who was uh, the contact uh the contact was actually um uh, a, a gentleman who uh who um, uh helped them out a lot and uh, I probably don't want to give it away because you'd know his kids but uh, mm-hmm. uh so um john Simon was his name Yep. so and um and uh he uh he, Dad contacted them later, but, uh, so they, they got off the, the aeroplane and uh, and they, they went to get a go somewhere, you know, so the cab driver says, like, where well, are you going, where are you going? And he, they didn't know what to say, and they said, well, where are you from? And they said, Lebanon, so he dropped them at Redfern Park, you know. Because that was where the community was. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. I'm still getting my kebabs up, there, you know. So, <laughs> what's your kebab on? Uh, I Lamb can't chicken. say, mate, because if my mum's listening and I, she knows I'm going out to the takeaway joints, I'll be in trouble, you know. But, uh,
1: come on, you, you, you can't even, you yeah, I know, you've got to keep
0: the chicken skewers, mate, with the garlic okay. and the bit of tabbouleh It's good, okay. Fatima's up in Cleveland Street without giving them a plug. And, um, I used to live right near it, yeah, yeah I know yeah. the one. Uh, it's too far to go to Lakemba where the real deal's happening, you know, so you got to... We gotta,
1: had our um, soccer dinner there one year. is was excellent. Yeah, we were at uh our <laughs> <at Fatima. laughs> wrap, uh, oh, yeah, uh, like yeah. end
0: of year dinner. They've got like a back room. Yes, they do. I've yeah. been there many times. And, um, and, so, and that's where it sort of started. They got into some like temporary accommodation there and started working in the, uh, I think on the railways initially. And then he worked in the Singer sewing factory for a while and, you know, they just... Did it? Yeah. You know, leave home, never, never see your parents again. You know, that's it. He, he, his parents passed away. Never saw them again. That they, people, like we take what we do for granted now. You know, I can just go over to Europe and I'll be back next day. And you know, when you made decisions to leave your home, there, yeah, that was it. You're not, you're not coming back. I'll, I'll go and play a couple of years overseas and come back and see all my my, my later on. That was it. I'm getting on a, I'm getting on a, a boat for most people. Playing at that time for him and like talk about commitment <laughs> that that's commitment that's real commitment do you think he's the, though he's the way he approached
1: that sort of move in his life has informed the way that you've been quite transient you've bounced around you've lived in lots
0: of different places uh, i'd i'd say he's probably given me the confidence to do that you yeah. know like to say okay you can you can get out there and go and you know don't don't you know, fully commit You know, And I think that's a philosophy that I've had, even right through coaching, you know, is as long as I do my best, right, and I give my best, then don't don't stress about it too much, mate, because if you do your best and you're good at it, you'll get good results, you know. If you do your best and you're no good at it, you'll still go all right, Mm. right? If you don't do your best and you're either good at it or not good at it, you're going to get carved up. So, I think... um, that, that attitude from I would have got from him, you know, it would have been about doing your best no matter what you do. It would have been a message. like, And then that tells you a little bit about Lebos, you know. Like he was trying to – here he is when I was a young fella growing up playing footy, giving me all the spiel like of how to play and what to do. He'd never seen a footy in his life, you know what I mean, until <laughs> he got here. So they, they, he, uh, he was a huge fan of, of the rugby, he loved it. Yeah, the other relatives that would come over, they couldn't understand how great men were smashing into each other. And I think my uh, my cousin or uncle came from Brazil once. There's a big Lebanese community in Brazil. And he actually came when Rammy played the All Blacks in 1980s, whenever it was. And he came to the game and he left at halftime because he couldn't take the you – know, if you've never seen it before – it's a pretty confrontational game. Well, you rugby. famously had a pretty big run in with Wayne Shelford that game, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. Well, if they're running with a few guys there, I don't think they remembered me. I certainly remembered them, you know. But, uh, Whoa, but well, don't try and change it. So I can <laughs> see you changing just, gears. You could, you could see how uh, rugby is, uh, you know. When and it was really interesting for me just on that point at the World Cup. You know, my brother was sending me a whole lot of stuff. That can't was in the Arabic paper, so in the Arabic writing, which I can't read, you know. But there'd be all a big article there, and then a picture of me. And I was weird; just it's weird to see that, you know what I mean? Because. You think, wow, the reach of the game is now, like, it's everywhere. I've played games everywhere, you know what I mean? For everywhere from, think about Olympics in Brazil there, was just on there. But in, back in the day, I would have played everywhere, in the Middle East, In when they used to play on sand, you know, in Asia. Where'd you uh, play on in sand? In Germany, uh, in Dubai back in the day, yeah. I remember playing um, against Queensland in the Dubai Sevens before it was an international tournament. And, uh, and um yeah, in a final of Dubai Sevens, so I was playing with an invitational team, with ma- mainly with Kiwi guys, you know, and uh, yeah, playing in a couple of those tournaments, and then you'd go and have a couple of weeks in Bahrain, you'd play some 15-a-side games, have a party, you know, it was, and then I played in, you know, everywhere in Asia, in, and this is in the amateur era, you know, uh, in Germany, in the US, in, like, all over the place, you so- know, it's... Your dad settled fun. in Redfern. Did you grow up in Redfern? No, I grew oh. up in Coogee. So okay. they moved okay. to Coogee. He moved to Coogee when after you met my mum, I think. And so my, what I was, was that upbringing like in Coogee with? Yeah, know? it was pretty good. It was pretty easy. Like we, we was obviously in very modest, different place Modest now. digs, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's a very different place now, and that's normal because that's you know that's what happens. But it was a very sleepy hollow back then. You know what I mean? Like. um beach was pretty you know every day at the beach and then you and I suppose that would have been a bit of my attraction to rugby as well because played a bit on the weekends so I went to league schools growing up mm-hmm. played roosters SG ball and all that type of stuff and and played rugby on the weekends a bit and then you know you'd I would see the games at Coogee when I'd be coming back and forth and and then my brother played rugby as well because he he went he we went to the same school but he left the year I arrived but, and the principal changed, so they changed from rugby to league because the principal made them change, so I just kept playing league. Yeah. You know? So How'd you make the switch? Uh, why? You know, mate, i would be honest. Um, I, I'd had a bit of a ch- choice between league and union to follow on with, and I thought to myself, this is going to sound so stupid, but it was 19-whatever, 80-something, I thought to myself, you know, I reckon i will get a free trip overseas if I play rugby. <laughs> like, <laughs> you got a few. Well, you're was probably, actually, you're probably right. Was back then, <laughs> you know. What I mean, I'm not talking about now. Well, as a young fella, yeah. I, I didn't go to university, so I didn't study afterwards, and I was pretty desperate. I, I wanted to do something, and I wanted to learn another language. Mm. So, obviously, I had Arabic in my ear from a young age, so the Lebanese dialect. So I could, we would communicate like they'd speak to me in in Arabic, and I'd answer in English. You know, mm. it was that sort of thing, and and you know. I could handle myself in Arabic if I had to. But I wanted to learn... I thought another language would be cool. And I was so lucky because I started playing rugby with Ramwick and I played... I got to first grade. I played Australian 20s that year, or 21s it was back then. And I found a little note... um, on the coach's desk, and the coach was Jeff Sale, so you can imagine you need to have a magnifying glass to find anything on his desk because it was just a, it was just chaos on there. You know what I mean? There was papers and stuff everywhere about a French club looking for a number eight to play, and uh, I just took the note and rang the number, and it came up to a guy who was working for Remy Martin in Australia at the time, and he said, "Oh yeah, I'm coaching this. I'm, I'm connected to this team in France," and. Yeah, I went over there a couple of times and I ended up playing there at twenty. Incredible 21. turn of fortune. Yeah, well, that was back in the day when it was amateur. So I just played all year round. You, you, I played there and then come back and played in Australia as well. What's the French club rugby scene like in the 80s? Yeah, it was brutal. Yeah. It was hardcore. Like, I'll never forget my first game. Gouging. Cast. Uh, well, mate, I'll never forget it. We played against Tab, which was French captain, Philippe Dintrons and And I thought, you know... Let's get it. Like they brought it, and I thought, let's get it on. You know what I mean? Knocked down, getting kicked. Like non. It was. It was just. It was fun. It made me uh, a much better player, much tougher. I wasn't very skillful, I suppose, but it made me a lot tougher. And um, and just being able to pretty much did that for six or seven years. You know by. Going, and then I went, changed the clubs, went to Paris, then went to Italy after that. So learned to speak French, learned to speak Italian when I went and those things. So I, I pretty much got what I wanted out of it, as well as, I suppose, that was my education, you know.
1: How did you. You're pretty educated for someone who claims to be an uneducated man. But you Four <laughs> languages? Yeah. Yeah. So how, how do you approach learning a language? Because you seem to be just picking them up. And I dare say you're probably not going to
0: French and Italian classes. Uh, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I. I suppose uh, I suppose French got my interest in, in um, high school because we had a pretty nice-looking French teacher, so it always does the trick, it's you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> then when she left, uh, that, I wasn't interested in the black after her, so that was... <laughs> it dropped away. dropped off there, yeah. and then... Uh, so I figured that uh, it would just be... I don't know, I just liked it uh, for some... I, don't, I couldn't tell you why, I just had a thing with it. I had cousins living over there as well, so that was always an easy place to go if I wanted to travel. And um, I don't know. I just, and then I went to Cass, So back in the day, which is just south of Toulouse, back in the day, like there was none of this, you know, foreigners. There was one foreigner or mm. two. I think you're allowed to have, and uh, and uh, and it was it, mate. If, Are you the town you celebrity? If you didn't play, well, the team was yes, obviously because that team was owned by uh, the company Pierre Fabre, which is. Um, big pharmaceutical firm which runs that he, he's from the town and he you know everything in the town is based around the pharmaceutical firm so they are uh, they they're very very good people still very close with all those guys from back there a couple of my colleagues are coaching over there from i put teammates back in the day uh, Laurent Labitz at racing uh he's the head coach there um and uh there's a Another guy over in, um, I think he's coaching. At, he's back in Cass now, so coaching there. So there's just you made. I made really good friends there, and um, and you you didn't have a choice because if you didn't speak French, you weren't getting nothing. <laughs> you were you were you were you had to. You know they didn't speak English and you knew how to go for it so there was a, it was funny because it taught me a lot about the European politics because there was an English guy also playing there and he spoke French really well and uh but he would speak it with an English accent on purpose just to give him the you know, poops you know what I mean <laughs> he, wanted, he wanted to cause grief so and he tried to corrupt me and I' to go the English way but I ended up staying the Latin way you know with the with the hanging out with the Frenchies. <laughs>
1: listening to Michael Checker speak to me on the Stack Report. I hope you're enjoying this conversation and if you are, do us a favour, recommend us to a mate, subscribe on iTunes, leave us a review and a rating and you know make it, I don't know, five stars. Why not? Live a little. Okay, it's now back to the current Wallabies coach. Still plenty to come from him. We can hear about Beyoncé, as I said. Some fashion chat. The future of the Wallabies and his Irish shrink. Yeah for real, his Irish shrink. Well, you clearly enjoyed your time playing club rugby um, mm-hmm. in France. You had a, a mountain of success here in Australia with the Galloping Greens at Ramwick. Um, Alan Gaffney, who is the coach there, or at some of the time the coach mm-hmm. there, has made comments previously saying that you were underrated as a player and you probably didn't um, get the achievement that you deserved. And I think if you read between the lines there, he's basically saying you should have played for the Wallabies. Is that something that has
0: you ever reflect on with frustration? Um, yes and no, uh, he, there's a couple of things there, so maybe if if think if Alan thinks that, I feel honoured that he would think that, but but I also took the easy way out, I didn't stay and fight, so yeah, I didn't get picked a couple of times, I, um, early on after 21s I thought, you know what, I'm going to go overseas and do that, and, and I could have stayed and fought for it. If I wanted to enough, if I wanted it bad enough, but when you're young, you maybe don't know, you know. So, if I I, I gave them the excuse not to pick me because I travelled and I missed a court bit of the season here, I got the opportunity to go into the AIS when they started rugby initially in there, and you know brushed it and and went overseas and did all that. So, I could say yes, uh, you know, frustrated, but the only people person who's responsible for that was me. I I I took that route. And I went, uh, that's you know i prefer to say oh you know i didn't go to the right school or all that carry on you know what i mean so that's excuse making and uh if i stayed and fought and fought for it and really fought for it then i would have made it you know what i mean if i could have made it sorry that's not right i would have made it i could have made it you know but i didn't give myself any chance when i went away from that fight
1: does that it's really interesting you talk about that Given the way Australian rugby is at the moment, with opportunities to play overseas, you talk about staying and fighting for it. Does that inform the way you deal with some of yeah, well, um, the, the contracts and the players that you deal with now?
0: Mate, I think. Um, well, I think the guys would be, the players would be comfortable enough for me to give away a little bit from the locker room. Is I, I would tell them that I'm the most qualified person to tell them about playing for Australia because I've never played. <laughs> you understand?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, when you haven't played. Um, you really know how much it means. And uh, I, I don't know if our guys realise it, you know, that uh, that when they play. Uh, but for all the guys that have played and have never played uh, for Australia and never got the chance to do what they do, put on the jersey, that they're probably the people who are best equipped to tell them what playing for Australia means. From
1: the outside looking in, it seems to me as well that part of your coaching – and part of what you enjoy about coaching is recognising value where other people don't see it. Um, You tell me if that's unfair, but is that also informed from your time playing? Maybe you you weren't correctly valued and and as a consequence you try and...
0: um, um, No, I don't think that that's the case. I'd say it comes more from seeing what happens sometimes when you get given opportunities. So even in my work life, you know, I was given opportunities that I probably didn't deserve, and I got the opportunities, and then was able to do well in those opportunities. You know, even all the way through. So, even from from working in business, etc., and then even from coaching, you know, got given opportunity. Like, there's no way with my um, or CV or whatever they call it uh, that I should have got the job at Leinster. You know, I'd coached Ramwick for a few years, and one year in Italy, uh, they were a big club they'd had three coaches in three years. So I would have been the fourth coach in four years. It was a huge decision for them to make, uh, to take on someone who had no experience in real professional level, yet they gambled on me. So I had to make sure I paid that back, you know, and, and, and by seeing what can happen when you, if you back yourself and you're given an opportunity, I think I would be formed more by that than by the negative side of things.
1: You touched on Leinster there. Uh, am I right in saying that you
0: met with a, psycholo- a psychologist
1: early on in your time in Leinster and that was quite a, f- um, a formative part of your coaching experience?
0: Yeah, I probably needed one well well and truly before that, i <laughs> I didn't mean in that uh, sense. But <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, uh, no, no, I think uh, when did I... No, probably not early on, maybe in the middle time. You know, he's a guy who... Uh, was playing professional, well, not professional because the Gaelic games aren't professional over there. But he was playing the elite sport as well at the same time in Gaelic football, and uh, I think he loved me as a customer because he, I'd have to pay twice as much for him because he was from Northern Ireland, so I couldn't understand a word he said. I <laughs> had to ask him every time to repeat himself. So a thirty minute took sixty minutes, you know, but uh, but it was m- more for me, you know, um, just to get a handle on. The people, like, so, if I look at my experience at Leinster compared to my experience at Stade Francais, when I was at Leinster, I took the time to get to know the country, how kids were brought up, the education system, understanding the people from a deeper point of view, because when you're trying to change people, which is what I've always been, is in turnaround teams, teams that haven't been going as good and need a turn, that's what I've always done, it's to understand them Whereas I went to Paris It was a very last minute thing I was going to have a year off uh, I'd been five years at Leinster i just had a set of twins I'd already had a 15 month old So we were going to just have a year off And go to Paris and have a year break And then that position came up I took it I didn't do any of the research That I should have done uh, About those guys Until a year or so in When I sort of got my head around me And uh, by that stage You know It was too late I reckon already uh, we, you know, with the troubles we had there, and I didn't do the right prep, and I got that outcome. When you do the right prep, you get the right outcome. And and uh, Ender, who, who was that guy you're talking about, he was valuable to me. Like it was just him to me. And then i tried try to turn that into footy speak, you know. And it was also good for me to to have someone to bounce ideas off, someone from a totally different environment who maybe didn't understand rugby as much. Yeah. You know? I think he's, he's now still working with the Irish team, the national team. So he's, he was excellent, you know.
1: Was it him – was it he who um, was big on learning or creating an identity for a team? Was it that, that sort of
0: – No, that's something I – like, he would have been, I imagine, but yeah. that's something I had in me from, from my club days, you okay. know. Randwick is a club where identity is everything. If you don't go down there and play – that's why I like playing there so much because it, you, if you didn't play their way, right, it didn't matter what you did you had to play their way and that's the way they wanted to play
1: so as a coach when you come into a new club leinster star francais the waratahs the wallabies how do you decide on what the team's identity is going to be
0: well that has to be decided by by a a bunch of things you know what i mean that the the history of the club because you can't ignore the history you can't just start up a new oh this is who we are off we go you know what i mean like that's that's not going to resonate with anyone. But also the the current group of people and how they're going to evolve that, right? How they're going to change that and, and bring it, and make improve it, um, and that can be in anything. Like uh, that could be in. But if you're not if you're not fighting for something, or you're not part of a, a team, or fighting for a cause, or or um, then there's no point in being... If you're not clear on what you're fighting for, who you're with, and I think that's been a huge challenge for the Australian team over the last 10 to 12 years has been that our state um, divides have become larger, right? We've had more teams and therefore more divides, right? And that's great for competition, and no-one used that more than me when I was coaching with the TARS, right? But also then when everyone gets together... You've got to have something that everyone knows. When we come together in the gold jersey, we buy into, that's who we are. It's not necessarily going to make us win, but it's going to give us the, the right... I, I know who I am when I come here and what, what's expected of me. And uh, from my teammates and from, from myself, no rule books, no codes of conduct, none of that stuff, just this. And, and this is what I want to buy into.
1: Similar sort of vein, I mean, I was talking to my
0: niece recently and she talks about,
1: um, she's about 15, she talks about when she's having a moment, when she's getting emotional about something. I feel like some of your rugby teams, they've been having a moment and you seem to be able to almost grab that tangible sort of feeling and run with it, whether it's Leinster or the Waratahs or the Wallabies run to the final of the World Cup. Is it something that you can feel in the moment and and you're trying to sort of seize onto?
0: Well, mate, it's something that you want to create. Because there's, that's that's value. Like that's the 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 energy of. Oh, this is going to sound very, I don't know, ditzy. Oh, I'm not sure, hippie. I don't know what it is. But the energy that your team creates when they're all thinking the same thing, and and mate, this is a proven formula in sport. That the the team that's coming last can beat the team that's running first on any given day when they're all aligned and, and together. And that team at the top isn't, right. And that's what—that's when it happens. And that's why it's not always the best teams that, on paper, that are the ho- the top performance, top performers when it comes to to playing. It's it's a it's a proven formula in all sport, you know, and and that building that that's up to the players in the team. I can guide them as well, but that, that you can't force it onto the teams. They build it. They they build it together, and it and it. it, it brings their engagement into the it brings their engagement aligned you know so they're they're very engaged in it and engagement is this fancy word that self-belief like that when you're engaged in something that means you believe in it right and and you believe you can do it and that's when all those things come into to line and once those once that starts to align you need to you need to take it. So you got to – I suppose this is very simplistic. I haven't really thought about it like this. You've got to work to create it, and then when it starts to happen, you've got to make sure it goes, you know, and it multiplies in the right direction. So you're, you're getting full value for that energy that you've created. After seeing your comments about disagreeing commit through the media, I sort of did
1: a bit of Googling and went down the, the rabbit holes. And <laughs> really Jeff, clever, Jeff, aren't you? Well, <laughs> I, you're the first person to call me that. I've been called a lot of <laughs> things. But um, Jeff Bezos is the guy from um, – Amazon, who is big on that disagreeing commit. And the other thing he's big on is um, that he talks about is a day one company versus a day two company. Day one's the sort of startup um, and harnessing that entrepreneurial energy um, around and excitement around doing something new. And I think you can draw a parallel between that and some of the teams that you've coached at the TARS and, of course, the Wallabies. And it seemed to me from the outside that you're almost... It looked as though, to me, ahead of this Wallaby season, you're almost trying to reset the Waratahs and give them that day one... Um, this year, the Wallabies. The wallabies yeah. I beg your pardon, not Waratahs. Yeah. Um, give them that day one, almost start-up feel all over again. Yeah. Is because, that fair to
0: say? Yeah, because I made a blue last year in thinking that there was... Well, not... A, I suppose it's only from my experience. I've never coached a national team before. So I didn't understand the dynamics, perhaps, as good of... Bringing everyone to in year one, I was able to cause I had time, you know. So, uh, 14, I had it st- when I took the tour at the last minute. We just used that as a real, yeah, exploration at first. There was no real, you know, it was a pretty easy, could be time. unaccountable to well, an extent, a little almost. bit, not 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 really for but more. We had a blank canvas. So I could do whatever I wanted with the guys. You know what I mean? We started, that's where we started the whole building the whole identity piece, and that, that's where it really you know, sort of started to happen, and they left that for the next year's team. And the next year's team built on that, and we had a good run together because of the way that the World Cup is, is laid out. We had a lot of time together. Uh, we got to know each other really well, and then I made an error in thinking I can continue that in the next year. But I couldn't continue that at the same time that I'm making wholesale changes to the team to change the roster. So you've got th- you've got to... I-, I think you've got to start everything again new. It's, you know, it's like um, I- I- every year. That- that's how I think I've got to do it. Every year, start, same principles, but re... re- I don't know, re it from the start, like re-educate from the start or whatever it is, give everyone the opportunity to really understand what it's about and take time for one player from Perth and one player from Sydney to really get to know each other and know each other in this environment. Because if we weren't in this environment together, probably there's a good chance they may not have been hanging around with each other. It's rugby that's bringing them together and, so, and being in that jersey that's bringing them together. So get to know each other and and start that from scratch you know what I mean every year I think that's really good and good for me as well so I don't take for granted what happened in the last year get something from the last year get some type of gift or whatever they want to hand over from experience but then take that and put into a new group of guys even if a lot of them are the same but when one player changes in a 15 it's a new team one player because the dynamic changes or when 13, I think we had last year, changed over a different period of time. Or when the tour, the guys that went on, the 33 that went on tour last year, at the end of the year, two-thirds of them were different to the World Cup squad. Right? That's a huge change. So one person makes a difference. So when you've got all those people, you need to start from scratch again. And I suppose that was the biggest thing I learned because I hadn't dealt with that before uh, from 15 to si- from six, 15 to 16 and then now 16 into 17.
1: So, with all that resetting and that regeneration, what do you think the identity of this Wallabies team is going to be? Well, there's
0: no doubt about what they are. we we are very clear. We have an identity piece for ourselves um, that uh, is a living thing for us on a day to day basis. Right? That's we want our supporters to leave the ground being able to. Not, not obviously word for word, but being able to tell us what are the things that we pride ourselves on in that identity piece from the way we play because that's the only chance we get to tell people. We're not putting it up on a banner or not putting it up on the website. Or so you're not going to tell me I'm going to have to figure it no, out at the end of the rugby season. Yeah, seat. you're going to have to look and say, <laughs> so what are the – in fact, I remember when I was with the TARS, they, we tried to do a, a poll of our – Supporters at the game after the you know, year three to see if they saw those values in the team, you know what I mean? Mm. That we thought were the things that we should look like because your identity is what you look like, isn't it? It's who you are and how you behave, what you do. And, uh, and so we want our supporters to see that from what they see in the games. 2019 will be
1: your sixth year with the Wallabies? Yeah, sort of. I came in November 14th. Okay, fine, let's call it five. Five, That's
0: a nine, I like that
1: number. Okay, five, yeah. it's, me- it's interesting you mentioned you like the number five. You've never spent more than five years with any club. Um, well, mate, that kick you How
0: sick of me would they be after five years? Well, How could be, you deal with it?
1: That'll be your fifth year. Can you see yourself, history shows that you, you leave after five years, or um, mm. can you see yourself coaching the Wallabies beyond the Rugby World Cup?
0: Mate, no, I don't think so. I think that uh, my job is to do the best I can with this team and also then start to prepare the next guys I reckon that no, we haven't looked enough at building proper succession and, and planning for the future so every time it comes, a uh, new coach and then oh let's change everything and let's do everything different and you know got no carry on information or like it was when I picked it up I'd be be fair to say like there was uh, uh, not much continuity like I didn't really know I had no track record of what happened before and I think uh, it's obvious that in Stephen we're looking to groom the next coach I would um, don't hesitate in saying that now obviously the things have to fall into place for that and uh, I, I think it's my job to make sure that the team plays well plays really well between now and 19 that we go on and win things as well and play good footy as well I think that's really important what you know obviously yeah you want to win low you want to win the World Cup I mean, you, you know you don't have to be a rocket scientist to work that out we've also got to want to win it in our style our way I think that gives you the, the difference and I know that maybe a lot of people listening to this does anyone listen to this? It's yours. We'll I find know, it out. Two or three. We'll find do out. Do you check. get the count? Three, three or four people? or
1: Yeah, well, I, I, you're
0: three or four thousand, surely. <laughs> 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 no, the people listening to this would be saying, yeah, right, whatever. But I, I, I back us. You know, I think that I believe a lot in the players. And yes, there's work to do. Or oh, not work. There's effort to put in. It's not work. This is not work. I want to make it clear that rugby, playing rugby is not work. Right, oh, and so you, coaching rugby is not work. What's well, not?
1: Well, I guess you can just hand the cash back over. The he's is running a bit short at the moment. Well, if aren't they'd actually.
0: asked me to do it for free, I probably would have. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I, or who wouldn't have? When you get asked, you know. But no, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm absolutely. Saying in, a, in that way, that it's not work, Aaron. You know, we all got to get a job one day, a real job. But uh, the, I think that we got to also start thinking about how we're going to be better going forward and the long term of the game as well as the short term, right? Not just the short term and then I'll go and get something else and I'll be sweet, but everyone else is left here, you know, grasping at straws, you know. We've got to, from a footy point of view I'm talking about, which is our area, have that planning. Now, if that planning doesn't come to fruition, other things can happen, but with no plan, we'll go nowhere. So, you know, I think that's part of why... You know, Stephen's coming in full time next year. Obviously, for Nathan as well, have a bit of a rest too, because I've been coaching footy non-stop for eleven months, for a year, for three years, I think now. And they need to have that step back a little bit. But also for us to start investing properly in our under twenties program, right? In our schoolboys program, the these they need our attention as well. Not just like so, we're playing for half a year, and we're looking at Super. But then the other part, we've got to be really reinvigorating those those sections because those young players will create the marketplace that we need you know what I mean and they'll create the challenges for the older players I think we've got a good crop of young players coming out now Uh, and it's about us making sure that they fulfill their potential not just hoping they fulfill their potential
1: Um, you mentioned that you'll go and find something else to do do you think your next job will be in rugby
0: Oh, mate, I don't know. I'm not one of those chaps. I'm not a... Hey, you're just talking to no, me about succession mate. planning. Yeah, but not for myself. <laughs> Why would I succession plan myself? That's illogical, right? <laughs> you succession plan someone else. Ideally, uh, you know, I'll be sitting on a beach somewhere in Brazil with a little, what do they call it, uh, uh, my own version of the World Caprens? Cup. You know, the little. Yeah, I'll have a Caprini yeah. as well, but maybe a little a mini World Cup okay. that I can sit down with, you know, and say we did it, like we got there. And, mate, I'm, I'm not a... Uh, I'm, I'm not going to be one of those cool guys so I don't, wouldn't dream about doing that. Like, who wouldn't? Oh, that, that's rubbish if you don't say you don't dream to do it. And in life, you've got to turn dream into reality sometimes. Mm. You know, like, it's happening every day. People dream of getting their, their dream job, right? Or I dream about meeting that girl, from, you know? Or, or, yeah, and then you've got to turn dreams into reality. It's, dreams aren't just nothing, right if you don't have a dream at first then you, you you got nowhere to go so i suppose the people call them goals or targets or whatever but dreams a lot more it sounds nicer doesn't it yeah you know i think I means yeah, so,
1: rose by any other name <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but uh you know what i'm saying i think that we that's that's what because and the reason why i would be wanting to do that is because i just saw how how pumped everyone was and we. Didn't even win last time. Just about how happy they were, with the way we played, and giving people that satisfaction. That is the ultimate reward in this game. You don't think it at first because you think about all the other stuff, like you know how good will it be, and hold up the cup, and whatever it is, you know, comp, and the party afterwards, and yeah, and all that. But the real thing is that, mate, I see it. I go when I go home after a game and we've lost. I see the disappointment in my kid's face, in my own kid's face, and is it that quite loony. kills me. Hey? Is that quite wounding? Yeah, of course it would be. When, you, when you're when you connected to it, mm. for, for, yeah, if you're just doing it for the cash, no, it wouldn't be. Yeah. It'd be sweet, I'll be on, get me the paycheck. But, mate, how, how couldn't it? And in the national role, that's where I found it's a big difference to being in a club team because everyone's involved, even non-rugby supporters, you know, because, you know, when – I'm supporting the soccer team when they're playing, and the rugby league team when they're playing, and the cricket team when they're playing. You know what I mean? I'll, yeah, we we're watching the rugby with one. I remember when Australia was playing cricket in India. We're watching the rugby uh, there live at the game. We're there, and we've got the phone on Fox. I'll give you a rap while you're on here. with the cricket on the phone. You know, someone who paid a subscription. I don't know if I'd paid, but paid I I was probably out of date for my subscription, but someone you know because we want to see Australia win in India. You know yeah. what I mean? And the that, that's, yeah, mate, that's, that's what we want to do. And that, that gives you a huge, well, that gives you a huge buzz. And I, maybe that's you're older, you start to realise that. I don't know if the players sometimes realise how much power they have in their hands when they're playing footy for Australia. Like it's, it, they're, they're, you don't often get the power, of, you know, affecting people's emotions like that. And it's a good feeling when you put a smile on people's face like that.
1: I know you're running out of time and you've got meetings to get to. Am I right, Forty? Yeah. Your media managers look at me. So um, I'll, I'll get through. There's a bunch of sort of rumours or stuff that I came across in researching this that I just need to get
0: through. Are we because- going to talk about Beyonce again here? Yes. Cause- <laughs> what is, is this Google like? Is well, that all- did you go to most- dinner with Beyonce? No. And I did you not know that. who she was? I met her and didn't know who she was. Didn't go to dinner with her. See yeah. that? I went to dinner with the, with the guy from Queen. And Freddie guy, Mercury? No, the other guy. <laughs> yeah, it'd be curly hair,
1: tough, wouldn't it? Be curly hair. Six foot under. Oh, no, that was yeah, a Okay,
0: yeah. Very inappropriate, <laughs> i tell you. The, the curly hair guy and the Irish guy. Who's the guy? World Aid. Forty? World Aid. World Aid. Bono? Oh, Bob no, Bob Gelder. Bob Gelder. Yeah, I didn't know who they were. Okay. At. Well, mate, if you don't know, I'm sure they don't know who I was. But I was... I like, can't imagine Beyonce and the guys from Queen are massive rugby fans. Oh, exactly. I mean, if I'm not a massive... Beyonce fan? I going to know where she's not here? It, it's it, mate. It's you don't need to know. I'm I'm not into that whole okay. fame thing. All right. You know what I mean? But so, but You're I, I not don't know why that? people are so surprised about that question. We have lowered ourselves to watch reality TV, and just do you want me to go on the rant? <laughs> yeah, go not? On, go on. No, no, I'm not going to go on the rant. <laughs> and start like Beyonce's not no, reality no, TV. It is in a way because like a. Singing for the singing, I'm all good. Like that's yeah. unreal. Seeing beautiful voice, I've heard the songs now. I yes. understand a bit more and all that stuff. But I don't care about the rest. If she got a jewel stolen in Paris or whatever it is, <laughs> I
1: think that was another person. But okay. But the, I think that was Kanye West. We're watching that.
0: But... We're watching the stuff on TV and watching other people's lives yeah. instead of enjoying our own.
1: You realise sport that. is like the ultimate reality TV. No,
0: it's
1: like the original no. reality TV. No,
0: no, I'll tell you why. It's not the original reality TV because when you support a sporting team, you identify with what they stand for. So I brought up – so why do I support the Rabbits in rugby league? Because my dad did mm. and he was from that working class area and I identified with that working class um, thingo and that's how it all linked in together mm. and I identify with them. And um, – and you, then do that with too, because you—that's the association we want to have. Whereas, I—I um, I don't care anything. I don't identify with the Housewives of Beverly Hills, mate, or Orange <coughs> County. You're you know looking at me as though. I do. You do, <laughs> obviously. Have a look, at, like you know, like that—that's the, the, the thing. You—you're playing them on all your stations. What's the station <laughs>
1: there? Our stations. Fox yeah, just, Sports has got seven no, channels. Foxtel, and Fox
0: You're all in the same fixing, <laughs> the same yeah, Fox. Yeah, there. Right. You're all got the the Orange County and the working my ex-girlfriend Rupert. or my ex-boy my is the beach on the beach with my ex you, I caught my wife watching it you know <laughs> what I mean like what is ex this ex on the beach you yeah she was yeah, watching it my girlfriend's big on that's that that's horrific yeah that stuff is bad for the environment am I allowed to say that on Fox of course is that you right? are no, or, no because it's one of their channels I don't want the boss coming down and give me grief you know, no know I'm, I'm I mean? sure you'll be fine
1: okay so you met Beyonce Was
0: she nice at least just quickly oh mate it was a long time ago you know yeah Pretty cool. Yeah. That's okay. All right. all
1: right. Good. I know that you, it's <laughs> well documented you worked with Colette Dinigan, but <laughs> no one can ever tell much. me what you did for her. So I think there's this myth out there that you're like, yay, yeah, sent Laurent out the back, drawing the glasses. Sketches on. For, yeah. No, yeah. No. What were well, you doing?
0: The, the, uh, do you think she'll be listening? File, yeah. She on your podcast? Is yeah, a regular she's a mad subscriber? subscriber yeah. okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> can you put me in touch, actually? Should be a good interview.
0: <laughs> I could if you want to. Yeah. But let's she, do it. Yeah. She's into her sport. Yeah. I'm Well, the, the, went. this is how it went down, right? So I was, I'd been playing footy overseas and I came home mm. and I thought I... You are all sophisticated. No, yeah. no, not at all. I said, I better get a job because, you know, the rugby wasn't paying then, you yep. know what I mean? And uh, it was mid-90s. It was probably when rugby was just going professional, I suppose. And I didn't have any tertiary education or anything like that, so I looked in the job ads and there was a job for a business manager with uh, Collette Dinnigan, fashion designer. And they wanted, she wanted someone who spoke French and Italian. So I had that bit. And I had a couple of cousins who had some fashion shops up at Oxford Street. So I just made the rest up. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> no, and, and I went and had interviews with her and got the job there. And, and, um, and that's sort of how it went. And so I had to sort of learn on the run. I think she sort of knew that deep down. But yeah. that's like you so say, you get the opportunity... And you back yourself, and you do the, you do your best in that opportunity to try to make the most of it. I stayed there for three or four years, and yeah. before I went back overseas, and you know still run into her every now and then. She was brilliant to work for, like absolutely brilliant. And I won't lie, like going backstage in the the runway shows in Paris was good. <laughs> I caught plenty of grief for it while I was playing footy, because I was yeah, still playing at all, the time. That would have been all envy, wouldn't it? Well, I don't know. Yeah, I suppose there was some good sledging which yeah. the, they, the guys well, you, would give to would me. Would you know? consider
1: yourself a you know fashionable, glamorous sort of person? Not
0: at all. <laughs> I mean, I, I, and I've never claimed that I was in the um, stylistic side of the business. You know, I think one of the big things she probably liked most about was I didn't really know much about her at all. So I didn't know who she was. You know what I mean yeah. in in the detail, but I learned that she was a. And you tried to run that angle
1: with Beyonce, clearly. Um, <laughs> just like, oh, no, I don't she know, is an
0: unbelievable operator, so yeah. I can see how why she was so successful and just in the way that she managed people as well. Yeah. You know what I mean, which is a which is very good and and taught me a lot as well as to how to how to manage because you know the fashion industry can be a bit chaotic around managing people. Mm. They can have uh, moments, as you said before.
1: And what's tougher in terms of managing people?
0: Heart children. Children, Trump's rugby and... Children, Trump's rugby and fashion. And
1: all of them, mate. Okay. I haven't had to found, find out about that just yet, but there's you'll time. All,
0: you'll have your time.
1: Rumour number three. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Has an NRL club ever sounded you out to be a coach? You've, no. Or do work for them? No. Because you've got... Yeah, I know team. a lot of the coaches yeah. and...
0: No, well, Jamesy was the first man, not cab off the rank, wasn't he? There, how the great Alan Jones—he went from rugby to league, didn't he?
1: Well, I don't know if he was first. There would have been a whole history of them doing it, wouldn't you
0: reckon? It? I don't know—not well, that I know. Of. And he did a pretty good job at it too, to be honest. Yeah. I, with the—I don't know if anyone else has ever done it from. Would Union you? To, hey. Would you do it? Mate, who's gonna like the game is so different. Look, the league coaches are very clever. Rugby league, like, league, is with out of the,
1: the question with rugby league. I hang
0: uh, the, you you watch them play and they've got a really specific job roles, skill sets. The they're they're clever guys. I hang out with a fair few of them. Like, I get to talk to them and stuff like that. They're, I had a I was with a few of them the other night. Actually, when we were talking about and just there. Their knowledge of the game, the skill set, and their balance between... What I like about the league coaches is their balance between aggression and strategy. I think they've got a really good balance. They know when to hit the pedal on aggression because it's an aggressive game. You know, it's a yeah. confrontational game. and But they also just have the right balance between that and tactics. Whereas in rugby, sometimes you can get too caught up in the tactics because it's probably got more line out in first phase moves, all that type of stuff. So the balance between tactical and aggression is always really good one to have. And coaches have got to go, so I enjoy hanging out with them, mate, yeah. But as far as... Um, Uh, doing anything like that's concerned. Maybe my kid's playing for the Clavelli Crocodiles this year, so maybe I'll go down there and have a coaching session, see how I go, if I get to play the ball right.
1: What a great name, Clavelli Crocodiles. (laughs) That's exceptional. Another rumour I'd heard around the traps, that you've got a dream job, and it's to be an NFL scout. Is there any truth to this <laughs> rumor?
0: But you've got rubbish mail. I don't know where you're getting this. It is, from. But this is like what do, I mean. Like, do I, you want, is this like a reality? Do you want me to answer the question? You imagine
1: me? if I uh, if I don't ask it, and then no. it comes out that you that you're no, interested not, in being no, an NFL star. No, I scorer. am
0: very I am very interested in the recruitment strategies that they use in just as interests, out in NFL and in soccer, and where they have those a uh, rec- recruitment is king. You know what I mean? Yeah. They, they don't. Uh, They don't give you much time there for development or anything like that. You're recruited, you're in, you perform, or you're out and someone else is coming in to get it done. And I just like that. It's a totally different mindset to what we have around finding players and developing. I'm just very interested to learn more about the way that they do their recruitment. I wouldn't, you know, I don't know much about NFL, so there's no way I could be recruiting for them, I don't think. But um, it's just interesting to know, picking, like I'm fascinated by people, you know, so how to pick the best people is always the the key, I think, in being successful in anything, whether it's business or sport. And the best people is not always the best operator, you know, it's the best people. Final question
1: How'd you celebrate your 50th? You just turned 50th oh. about a month ago. <laughs> you must
0: have mail on this one. I can see you, you wouldn't have asked No, no. I much.
1: just saw that you turned 50th in March, early March.
0: Early March, I yeah. thought,
1: I wonder what a Wallabies coach does who barely has enough time to have well, the kids. Well, I was and...
0: being, uh, it was actually. Uh, There was no game on that night, I don't think. Not in the in our district, right, or in the travel district. So I was getting hassled to have a party. And of course, yeah, you uh, rubber arm the would event, you know. Well, I was gonna hassled by my wife to have a party, and you know, I promised you I'd tell the truth here, and because you know, when you're on the podcast, it's like a the truth stack serum. report. Is the like stack a, report yeah. is a truth serum, you know. So whenever anyone I think does, we you put that on got the got label, <laughs>
1: <laughs> the stack report is a truth, truth serum. Yeah, have <laughs> Michael, you got, have you got a label? Oh yeah, we've got a label. Oh
0: right, yeah, okay. yeah, Is it? Uh, yeah, no, forget about yeah, it. I won't go there. Um, so in the end, it was actually the night of Mardi Gras. So, the 4th of March. So, I decided to make it as difficult as I could for people to come and we took a top floor of a shady, dark nightclub (laughs) right in... (laughs) Oxford Street Yeah Just on the edge of the Off the parade line And see how many Real friends I've got See who'd turn up
1: Who wouldn't turn up That's like the best Yeah free food year. and drink yeah. That's
0: it They all turned up yeah. They fleeced me dry <laughs> I said were you there 40 <laughs> He was there How many drinks did you have Oh you brought the German tourists Who well, I didn't even know I didn't even know Who they were And they were in there drinking. Did 40 know her or? Yeah they probably did I don't know yeah. if he just Picked them up on the street The backpackers But anyway yeah. There was Yes it was good fun Good fun Because if, if you're going to Have a party You've got to have a Proper party. Who I was be, who was the three votes? Who got best on ground? Best on ground. Oh, well, see, all the none of the footy guys were there because they were all away. Yeah, it games. could be anyone. I mean, um, I mean, no one you'd know. I don't think any. There was none of that. Beyonce wasn't there or anything <laughs> like that. So I couldn't invite. I couldn't say her. <laughs> yeah. Mate, there was a couple of blow-ins that were pretty just rocked up. I with mean, my cousin Michael. Yeah, they turned up. They were pretty in good form. A couple yeah. of them play. I think for East Rugby. Yeah, yeah, uh, and they just rolled in. Just rolled in. Yeah. And, uh, and they were like drinking carrying on like idiots but uh, no but it was it was funny because before I did I just wanted to let it go but in the end I think it was nice to mark a, I suppose that sort of uh, let's hope it's a halfway point you know what I mean mm-hmm. the the halfway point to a 100 and you know say so it was uh and had a good time and you know my friends uh, sharing it with friends and family and that type of atmosphere was was a pretty nice thing to do you know so because i wouldn't be a big birthday type of guy we've got in our family all the birthdays in one week my wife my two of my my kid and myself one of my kids and myself all in the space of four or five days so um uh it was good it was good you just dirty didn't get an invite yeah mate where's the invite what's that about (laughs) next time yeah yeah, 52. I'm going every second year I'll have a party. Okay, sounds so, good. And my wife will have one in the odd years. So we'll be on sounds every good. year. year. Ma- Play cards, right? You're on.
1: Michael Checker, you've been very generous with your time. Uh, there's a tonne of stuff I would have loved to ask you about. I'm sure you'll come back on the Stack Report for another... Well, man,
0: it is the truth serum, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So yeah.
1: Thanks for listening to the Stack Report. That man, Michael Checker, he can talk. He's certainly not your normal coach, is he? Um, hope you liked that interview you did maybe spread the stack report word on your social media platforms and subscribe rate review on itunes we'll try and bring you more interesting people more interesting conversations for absolutely no cost which so i reckon's a pretty good deal we'll see you next week we've got a good guest on the way and you can also follow me on twitter if you want at patrick stack Fox is my handle that's just general ramblings and it'll keep you up to date with this podcast and when it's out okay cheers bye